0: Great to see you here in the auditorium. Welcome to those who are uh, watching in the venue and all those watching online at carneyfree.com. My name is Adrian, and um, it's a delight to be a pastor here. Great to be with you today. If we haven't met, love to connect with you after the service. Hey, I, I want you to know as we begin today's message that, um, you know, as I finished uh, the 8.30 a.m. message, I just was struck that today's message is totally countercultural, like just heads up, newsflash, okay? It's completely countercultural, but it's also completely biblical, and it is totally critical for our moment right now. And so I, I pray you keep that in mind and give it a fair shake as you listen. Um, hopefully I have your attention now. You know, I have mixed, I have these really mixed emotions every time here at Carney E-Free we talk about marriage, And we're in this series called The Ride of Your Life, and I have these mixed emotions because on the one hand, like the Bible's really practical, and it speaks to our most important relationships a whole lot, and so it's critical that we talk about those relationships. And there's a lot of people that are really struggling in their marriage, struggling in their family right now, and um, COVID has actually made that worse for a lot of couples, so I'm I'm glad whenever we talk, whenever we have an opportunity to talk about marriage, I think it's necessary that we do so because it affects all of us. And the Bible speaks to it a lot. But on the other hand, I, I have this, this other emotion that comes over me when we talk about this because the simple truth is when you talk about marriage, you run the risk of inadvertently marginalizing people who are not married. You run the risk of telling people who are not married that like, they're not as critical to the church, which is absolutely false. And you run the risk of setting aside Like large groups of people, including those who are widowed, those who are single again, those who are single now and long to be married, and those who are single and don't think they'll ever be married and maybe don't even want to be married. And that's especially so in a diverse congregation like God has given us. We give thanks to God for the diversity that he's given us in terms of all those different stages of life that I just noted. But I want to start off, though, this morning by just noting a couple myths that sometimes the church advances, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally related to marriage. And the first one is this, that marriage is the standard. Oftentimes in the church, people are subtly told that marriage is the standard, and so if you're not married, you're kind of... Substandard. Or maybe you better start praying for marriage. Because again, that is the standard. And unfortunately, what that can sometimes say to people, particularly those who are single for a long time or are single again today, is it can, it can inadvertently say to them that you're kind of like spare parts. This in spite of the fact that 45% of the American adult population is unmarried, 45%. I think especially in the church and perhaps more in the Midwest, there is that expectation that marriage is normal, that marriage is the standard. A second myth that is oftentimes propagated related to marriage is this one. Marriage is going to complete me. That I'm kind of partial right now But if I get married, then I will become a complete, full, whole person. You hear this a lot from Hollywood. And sometimes, well, we hear it from others in the church as well. That um, if I just found that someone special, then all of my emotional and relational and maybe financial and spiritual problems would be fixed. And if you believe that today... Talk to some married people, and you'll learn that you're wrong. Okay, marriage will not complete you. Again, I I hope that this church would never intentionally communicate these myths to singles. If you are single today, if you're married and you are spiritually lonely today, if you're a widow today, if you're single again today, hear this. Another person is not made to complete you. If you're married today, hear this. Another person is not made to complete you. Only God is intended to complete you. Only Jesus Christ, our Lord, is able to complete us. Do you believe that? This is biblical truth. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, if you brought your Bible here today. 1 Corinthians 7. You'll find after uh, the book of Acts, and then Romans over in the New Testament, John, then Acts, then Romans, right before Second Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. We're going to mark our way, underline some passages, encourage you to underline a number of, number of verses here from First Corinthians chapter 7. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to his church in Corinth, Greece, and he's writing in response to a letter that they have sent him. The church in Corinth, Greece has sent him a letter to ask a number of questions about worship and relationships and uh, various theological questions, and the Apostle Paul is writing back to the church that he founded, okay? He was the entrepreneur that founded that church in Corinth, Greece, and he's writing back to them under the inspiration of God himself, giving God's words to this church in Corinth, and he's speaking specifically related to some questions that Corinth asked him about topics like marriage and divorce and sex and singleness. All of that is in your Bible. We won't cover all of that here, though, this morning, but we are going to highlight the passages that relate specifically in this chapter to singleness. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians seven, starting at verse one. We're going to skip around a little bit so we can focus on the passages related to singleness. Verse one says this, now for the matters that you wrote me about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's interesting, depending on the translation though, that you're reading, your translation may say it is good for a man not to marry a woman. Those two are back and forth depending on the translation that you read because biblically those two go together. Now look at verse seven and eight. It says this, I I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that gift. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Again, the Apostle Paul was an unmarried man for his life. He says it's good to stay unmarried As I am. Verse 27, he goes on, Are you pledged to a woman? Are you um, already married? He's saying, Are you betrothed? Our betrothal on that day was kind of in between engagement and marriage. Are you engaged? Are you married right now to a woman? Don't seek to be released. I'm not telling you to be released, he's saying there. Stay in your marriage, stay in your relationship. But he goes on to say, Are you free? From such a commitment? Are you free from such a covenant? Don't look for a wife then. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Can I get an Amen? If you're married, right? You're gonna face many troubles in life. And God says He wants to spare you of this. This would be a reason not to get married. Anyway, sorry. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Underlying your Bible, the time is short. Then on to verse 32, Paul goes on, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided between the two. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Did I mention this is countercultural? Okay, like this is really a mouthful. And it's totally countercultural. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is he jams for a while on singleness and marriage. But the point is this while much of our culture and many churches are uncomfortable with singleness, God is not. Can we say that? God's not uncomfortable with singleness. At all. Singleness is not substandard in God's eyes. Indeed, what Paul would want to tell each of us today here in 2021 is think higher than marriage. Like if you're married, that's a great thing. But that's not the ultimate thing. If you're single, that's a great thing. But it's not the ultimate thing. Either way, think higher than marriage or singleness. Think about this. What God wants is a heart that is undivided and fully focused on the Lord. Let's say this together. Think bigger than marriage. Let's say it together one more time. Let me hear you in the venue. Think bigger than marriage. We want to think bigger than marriage. We want to think about Jesus being the capstone of our lives. Union with Christ, not marriage, is the capstone of our lives. So, Paul has the audacity to say, the audacity to say that marriage can be a gift from God and also he has the audacity to say that singleness can be a gift from God. Now, I've known many singles that just bristle at those words and I get it. I remember talking to a young lady in her early 30s about this very passage and as she was digesting it, she kind of paused and she said in the clearest manner to me, so Adrian... If, um, if singleness is a gift from God, is that the kind of gift that comes with a gift receipt? <laughs> like, can I take it back and get another one that I really want? And I totally appreciate that statement. Because it's not easy for those who long to be married, but they're moving into their 30s or 40s, and they're not. Now, why does the Bible say that singleness is a gift? Well, it provides a good answer for us here. Verse 29 says, the time is short. The time is short. Like all of us, you're 30 today, the time is short. You're 50 today, the time is short. You're 80 today, the time is short. I I, I hope that we remember as a church family, I hope that we remember as followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of the pandemic that the time is short. Thank you, God, for reminding us to number our days. The days of our life are very, very short. So maximize them for the kingdom. Our lives are brief. They're but a vapor, the Bible says. And from that, verse 32 and 33 go on to say this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So if you're unmarried, you can be more concerned with the Lord's affairs, how you can please him. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, as he should be. But what God wants for all of us is really pretty simple. What he wants is sold out kingdom of God, soldiers for Christ, That's what he's after. People who would say, Jesus gave his all for me, and so I'm going to give my all for him. That's the only response. He gave his all for me, and so the natural response is that he would invite me to give my all for him, and I'm going to do it. Anyone who gave his life for me and gave me the kind of life that Jesus gave, I want to give my all to him. Okay, this is what he's inviting us to. And then Paul is simply saying out of that, Hey, it's easier to do if you're single. Like, it's not impossible to do if you're married. But if you're single, you simply have more energy, more time, more resources to live with an undivided heart. That's that's his point. It's a very, very simple, practical point. Now, the nature of God's gifts is this. we got to talk about spiritual gifts for a moment. The nature of God's gifts, be it marriage or singleness or any other spiritual gift that God gives, is this. Uh, First, his gifts are given to build other people up. They're not first for you. They're first to build other people up. So I have a gift of preaching. At least I hope I have that gift. That's supposed to build you up. Sometimes I don't really like preaching. That's okay. It's not for me. It's for you. Okay. It's, It's to build other people up. Secondarily, our gifts are to build us up. Okay, so someone who is single simply has more time, more energy, more undivided focus to live a life of ministry fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. They're able to build others up more. You say, well, what about the affirming part for oneself? Well, I know of nothing else that's more fulfilling in life than serving Jesus Christ. I don't. Not my marriage, not sex not a great basketball game, nothing. Is as fulfilling as serving Jesus Christ as giving my heart of enjoying him. And to prioritize that is what Paul is saying when he says this can be a gift. Simply put, there's more freedom with more time to serve Christ and people and that can be fulfilling as well. Now I know many uh, there's many, many single people that say, well, what, what about legacy? I, I, I can't have much of a legacy if I don't have any people that come after me, any little ones though, that come after me. Well, that's just false. Like, you can have a spiritual legacy that's just tremendous. Spiritual legacy is more important than biological legacy. It is. Biblically speaking, spiritual legacy is more important than biological legacy. And if you want to see people who have a vast spiritual impact, read just a little bit of missionary history where you see this incredible impact that single women and men had for the kingdom of God all over the world. Or you think on a local level of single individuals and the impact they have on the community of Kearney and on this church. Like I'm looking at a number of those folks right now. This past week as I was thinking about it, I thought about people like Keith Bruce, and Kerry Carpenter. Like, you know those folks? Wow! They have an extraordinary impact for, for the kingdom, in part because they take advantage of their singleness to serve people so well. Now, what's one quality that Jesus and the Apostle Paul shared in common? They're both single. Thank you, brother. It's probably a dumb question because they shared many things in common, Right? But the answer I was looking for is this guy said, is they're both single. Were they incomplete people? No. Somebody say no. No. Were they unfulfilled people? No. Somebody say no. Okay, th- this is silly. This is the myth that our culture and our churches propagate. It's just silly. Okay, Jesus was the most fulfilled, happiest, joy filled man who ever lived without sex and without a wife. The Apostle Paul wasn't too far behind. The Apostle Paul talks about this struggle that he experienced in life. He understood, like, this struggle of living in plenty and living in want. And uh, he said he learned how to be content in all different circumstances, Philippians 4. I've learned how to be content in every different circumstance that I might face myself this side of eternity. And the Apostle Paul learned the pain of disappointing family expectations. And family expectations in Judaism of his day, which he was raised in, was very much that you would have a family. But he disappointed his family expectations as he sought to follow God's call on his life. He disappointed those expectations. But he said, I'm going to follow Christ as Christ has called me in the midst of the struggle of having little and having much. He said, I've learned the secret of be content in any circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, like that needs to be our, our heart's call. Whenever we're going through struggles of various kinds, It could be related to this or some other thing though that you're thinking of right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in him. I think bigger than marriage. Think bigger than marriage. You see, contentment is not found through another person. Contentment is found through Christ. Indeed, marriage will cease to be a great thing if you idolize it as the greatest thing. It's not meant to be the greatest thing. Don't idolize it. It can be a great thing if it finds its proper place underneath Christ. Uh, Jesus came that whether you're married or single, he came that you would live a life fully alive. Not if you get married. Not when you get married. Don't wait. Live fully alive in Jesus today. Um. I was talking to a dear friend about this a few years ago, and I asked him uh, how we as a church could better support him as he was moving into his 40s, and he longed to be married, but God just hadn't brought that to him. And there was great pain for him in that, and he was a friend, and so I just wanted to ask him, how can I be a better friend to you? And also, how can our church better support you? And he wrote me a note which I've held over the years and thought about this week, Scott told me this. I think the thing that's most affirming for me in my pain and frustration is being reminded that God knows my hurt. He's there with me in my hurt, and because he sacrificed so much for me, I can trust that he actually gives a rip. I find that I respect God a lot more because he didn't just drop off a couple stone tablets with some rules for me to follow and say good luck. He entered into my world as a man and subjected himself to the same pain, loneliness, and disappointment that I have felt. All too often, we treat God unfairly by blaming him for all that is wrong with our lives without thanking him for what is good. When I forget this, the hurt and unmet desire is so strong, so often, that it's easy to start believing that God doesn't care and has stopped seeking my good. But in reality, he knows the deep longing of our hearts and he cares. He even gave his life to prove it. The reality is, Adrian, this is hard. And it's just good to know that I am not alone. There are other people God put here to walk with me through the pain in this life, not for pity's sake, but because that's how he designed it to be. We need other people. This is just a reality for all of us. We need other people. And it's a false myth that I am somehow beneath the standard if I don't have one other person. Whether you have one other person or you're in a community with many other people. The simple truth is we need a real community of serious followers of Christ that are going after it together. So I I, want to give, in the time that I have remaining, just five really, really brief recommendations for those who are single and you say, I hope someday to be married. Five recommendations though, that you could consider. Also, these are recommendations for for those who are couples today and want to do more to uh, care for the entire family of God that God has brought here. The first one is this, embrace deep friendship. Embrace deep friendship. If you're married... Ask yourself this question Do you know any people like the man whose story I just read? Do you know anyone like that? How can you bring them in? Do you know any widows? How about widowers? Do you know anyone who was married at one time but now they're single again and they're lonely? How do you bring those folks in? Because the reality is, as he said, this is really hard, but God made us to need one another. Okay, we are made for community, and that is especially true for those who are single right now within our church community. Let's be intentional about including single people, not allowing them to ever feel like spare parts, but essential members of this church family. We are better together across our very diverse experiences. I'll never forget a teaching lesson that I sat in underneath the author named Wesley Hill. Wesley Hill is a wonderful author. He's also a professor at Trinity School of Ministry in Pennsylvania. And um, Wesley Hill was talking about the value of spiritual friendship. And I was with him and maybe 20 others as he was teaching on the value of spiritual friendship. And Wesley is a man who is now probably about 40. And he's only exclusively, across his entire life, experienced same-sex attraction. Okay? And he's chosen, as a disciple of Christ, to follow Christ and what he believes Jesus says about expression of sexuality. As difficult as it may be, he's chosen to follow what he believes the Bible teaches. He's chosen that route because he believes that Jesus rose from the grave And because Jesus rose from the grave, he wants to believe everything that Jesus said. And Jesus said all of the Bible is true. And so he's going to go with what the Bible says as opposed to what he wants. Okay? You following me? And so he's made this very, very difficult decision to live a single celibate life across the entirety of his life to go against his emotions and to choose to follow Christ in community. And I was in a small group with him and another student asked a question of Wesley and said, how have you done this, Wesley? This must have been so difficult. And he immediately quoted Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, in which Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who leaves mother or father, brother or sister, son or daughter, for my sake and for the gospel, will not fail to receive 100 times more brothers or sisters, mothers or fathers, sons and daughters, in the age to come and also in this present age. And he said, that's been my experience. I chose to take a really big discipleship step, and my church chose to come around me. My church chose to come around me and love me right where I am. And today he's part of a life group. In addition to that, he's godfather to five kids in his church and those kids call him uncle. He's been invited to live with one family in his church with a few kids, all of whom call him uncle, and he would say, I've been given 100 times more than what I gave up for following Christ and the gospel. That's the church. That's genuine community for someone who chooses to step out in faith and take a really difficult discipleship decision to the end. I love the way Hill says it in his book, Spiritual Friendship, he says, we do conceive of non-sexual relationships in the family of God. We really are a family in more than a vague metaphorical sense. Now it's up to the disciples around them, around the singles, to be their family, to be family for the person who has left all for the gospel. This is a critical word for our married folks in the church. This is a critical word for life group leaders in the church. The question is, what are we doing to welcome and include those who have a different experience right now of family? What are we doing for them? And for single folks in the church, I want to encourage you the same thing. Embrace deep friendship. Enter into a robust community with others that can support you in your singleness, and then simultaneously, if you choose to date, look for friendship. Work really hard to build friendships on the basis of mutual respect and trust as opposed to on the basis of physical touch and gifts and money and all of that. Build friendship as you begin to date And allow a position of respect to grow as you know each other as friends first. Second, I want to encourage you single folks to resist emotional involvement with a non-believing person. The Bible everywhere assumes that Christians would marry other Christians. For example, you look at verse 39 again back here in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives But if her husband dies and she becomes a widow, then she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But here's the caveat. He must belong to the Lord. Okay, the assumption and the explicit statement in the scriptures again and again is that we would marry other people who share our spiritual convictions. Now the reason for this is really very, very simple. Life is hard and it gets harder if you don't share the same convictions. Okay, it's like um, an oxen that is yoked together and you imagine this oxen uh, that's yoked together and one consistently wants to go this way and another one consistently wants to go this way as it relates to small issues such as religion, the children, finances, church, and service. Like you're going to get a headache. A lot. And so... God, in his generosity, in his wisdom, in his love, he says, resist emotional involvement with a non-believing person. Third, I want to encourage you to embrace comprehensive attraction. I get this line from Pastor Tim Keller out of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he writes about this. He has a wonderful chapter specifically directed to singles in his wonderful book, The Meaning of Marriage, which I must say is probably the best book on marriage I've ever read, you can find it out of the information table but but the mean of marriage he talks about embracing comprehensive attraction what does that mean it means this most people decide who they're going to date on the basis of a couple things how much do i think that person can make and how good looking is that person sadly many people decide who they're going to date on those two variables. And as a result, they eliminate a huge percentage of the population that God could have for them that would actually be a much better fit for who they are in terms of their personality, their characteristics, and where they want to go in life. What I want to encourage you to do if you're a single person, you long to be married, is this. Resist this idea that you only look for someone who's going to make a lot of money or looks really, really good. Instead, embrace this idea of comprehensive affection, comprehensive attraction. The simple truth is people get more beautiful as you see their character revealed more and more. Like, I think of certain people that I once looked at as kind of like vanilla And now they look so beautiful because I've seen the fruit of the Spirit in them. Like, I have a beautiful wife, but she's not a supermodel. And she would be glad that I say that. Truly, she would be glad that I say that about her. She's more beautiful as I've seen her character over the years. You look for someone that demonstrates the character of faithfulness of integrity, of self-control, of peace, of other-centered love, the fruit of of joy. And then over time, that person becomes more and more attractive to you. Uh, Sadly, I see many marriages fail because people have thought, I'm just going to find someone who's really beautiful or who makes a lot of money. And then a few years afterwards, they realize that they're married to someone they can't really respect much. But the truth is we can slowly grow in attraction with each other. We can begin to shine more as we see the character of Christ growing in someone over time. Fourth, I want to encourage you to resist cohabitation. Okay, there are a lot of reasons to resist cohabitation. I can't get into all of them, though, this morning. If you are struggling with this and you'd like to talk to any pastor about this, the pastors here at this church would be happy to talk to you about this. But I'll give you a few real quick reasons why I would encourage you to resist cohabitation. The first and the most important reason is the Bible tells us to. Okay? There's four different times that the Scriptures say this. Here it is at the creation mandate. These are God's words at the beginning. Jesus says this two other times, and then the Apostle Paul says it a fourth time as well. So from Moses to Jesus twice to, to the Apostle Paul, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. A woman, of course, would leave her father and mother, and she shall cleave, he and she shall cleave to one another. What that means is they will come together financially, They'll come together under the same rooftop. They'll come together relationally and spiritually. They will cleave together. They'll make one new, fresh family start together. And then after that, after that, after that, somebody say, after that, after that, they become one flesh. After that, they become one flesh. Now, I know that's a hard and countercultural word, but that's what the Bible says. And it says it for many, many great reasons, Here's a second reason, in addition to the Bible says not to, why I would encourage you not to cohabit before marriage. It's a brand new practice in the past 60 years. And newer is not better. Okay? It corresponds to our new consumeristic ethic in the United States, as opposed to a duty and virtue and faithfulness-based ethic that we had previous to the 1960s in the United States. Newer is not better. Here's number three, and this is a secret, ready? I'll give you a secret. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay, that's the the secret. Like you may know somebody that it worked for, but statistically, there are so many studies on this that prove again and again and again, a couple different things, that when a man and woman live together before marriage, the man is looking for something different than the woman is. Okay, and typically the woman is left holding the bag. And the statistics show again and again that those who cohabit before marriage have a higher rate of divorce than those who don't. And you say, why? Well, there's lots of different reasons why. And maybe it worked for you, and that's fine. God bless you. May the Lord strengthen you in your marriage where you are right now. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tooth tube, okay? I, I get it. The toothpaste tube, you can't put it back, that's fine. But the Bibles are standard, amen? The Bibles are standard, and it's my job to teach the Bible to you, and this is what the Bible says. Number five, lastly, for those who are dating, those who are single today, I want to encourage you to embrace Christ who completes you. Embrace Christ who completes you. Those who are married, embrace Christ who completes you. No other person is meant to complete you. And if you expect a woman to complete you, you will crush that woman. If you expect a man to complete you, you will crush that man. If you expect your kids to complete you, you'll crush your kids. That's that's too great a burden on your kids. They are not meant to complete you. Only Christ is meant to complete you. What we've been told, we've been sold this bill of goods, that marriage is the capstone of life and the wedding is the commencement of life. That's false. Union with Christ is the capstone of life and heaven, eternity with God, is the commencement of life. Think bigger than marriage. It's Hollywood that tells us all the time, you complete me. That's malarkey. Tell Jerry Maguire that's malarkey. As baloney. You don't completely, complete me. No person is made to complete you. It's only God. It's only Christ himself that complete us. Let's get rid of these myths. Marriage is the standard. Getting married will complete me. Instead, it's what God says. We're made for union with Christ, and he intends to complete us. The central thing about us is what Jesus says about us which is that we are children of God filled with the Holy Spirit in union with Christ. I love the way Paige Benton Brown put it. She's a beautiful young woman who longs to be married, and God hasn't brought that to her yet. She's written a wonderful essay titled Singled Out for God, and she says this. Let's face it. Singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs, but I want to be married. I pray to that end, every single day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God is so good to me. Here's the truth. You are the possession of the Lord's. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. You who are God's people. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. I have called you by name. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Totally complete in Christ. Fully known by Christ. Fully loved by Christ totally complete in the goodness of God. So Father, I want to pray that for my friends here today. We ask that you would give us the right kind of vision for the goodness of God. There's some here who are married and their marriage is struggling because in some way they've idolized their spouse and expected their spouse to do for them what their spouse cannot do which is complete them. And I pray God that you would bring conviction there. And you would bring a new resolution to pursue you as our first thing. And I pray for those who are single and are lonely, that you would surround them with a great community. Yes, of other single people, but also other married people. And you would let them know that they are not in any way spare parts in this church pray, God, that we would uplift one another in our various places within this family of God. I pray for those who are single and they long to be married, that, Father, you would fulfill the desires of their heart. I do ask for that. But I pray even more than, than for marriage, I pray even more than that, that you would fulfill their desire for completion through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray for those who I know are hurting right now because marriage didn't go the way they expected it to go. And Father, right now, they they need you to hold them. So for these brothers and sisters in this spot, would you surround them with your great love, both through your spirit and through others in this community. Lord, may we be a community of love. May we be a community of compassion. May we be a community of intentionality. Not a community that just looks out for our kind. Not a community that just goes to people who are in the same state of life as us. But a Christian community. The family of God who builds each other up in the various states that we find ourselves in. We'll always look to you. You're our good, good father. In Christ's name we ask, amen.